welcome to Heart of the Matter. Let's pray. Let's begin with a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, love you, Lord. Thank you for everything, for the opportunity to be on the air, to talk about your word, to talk about relationships with you, regenerative relationships with you, as it relates to Christianity and Mormonism in this uh, part of the country. So Lord, we pray that your spirit will be here, that you will guide me and the callers that call in. In Jesus' holy name, amen. All right, we're going to talk kind of casually tonight about a biblical truth. Where does God dwell? Where have been some of his homes? Now, I believe God can dwell anywhere. I believe he is everywhere. I'm not pantheistic, but I believe that God can be anywhere and everywhere. Psalms 139.8 says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. So we know God can be everywhere. And, uh, but he has made some very specific places his home. And the Bible talks about those and, and what they mean and what they represent relative to us. The first home that he made was in Adam and Eve. He created them in his image. And, and Genesis 1.27 says that God made them in his image. He created them male and female. So when God, it says God made Adam and Eve in his image, he wasn't talking about a physical representation of eyes and ears because he made male and female. He, and God is not male and female in the sense of physicality. But he made them in his image in that they are tripartite beings. And that means that, that man, human beings, you, me, women, children, everybody, are created in three parts. They're created with a body, they're created with a spirit, and they're created with a soul. And God created Adam and Eve in this way, in his image, and he resonated, he lived with them, he communed with them through their spirits, because their spirits were clean and pure. And as they walked through the garden, um, they were given a, a, a beautiful place to live, but they were also told not to do a certain thing, and that was eat of the tree. And they did, and they sinned. And it, God left them at that point. He abandoned that house because that house was defiled. And yet Adam continued to live for another however many years, 700, 800, 900 years. I don't remember how long it was. So he didn't die physically there, but physical death was brought into the world. But spiritual death was brought there too. And spiritual death occurs when God abandons the building. He abandoned the house of man. And so man, mankind, was left when they were born to operate by their body and their soul. We became soulful. The word soul in Greek is suke. And, and, and it starts with the same letters as psychiatrist, as psyche, um, uh, psychologist, psychic, any of those words. And it, what it means is it talks about the will of man, the, the seat of the emotions. It talks about the heart. It talks about our our way of doing things. And the soul is a very different part of the body of the human experience than the spirit. The spirit is the place where God dwells. Now there's all kinds of theological arguments as to whether all the spirit died in man or if a little was left enough for God to resonate to it or whatever it was, but we know that man operates before he or she is regenerated by their soul and their body. And so that is the state that we find ourselves in. So God abandoned that first house and he left Adam and Eve. Now, if you wonder, 
is the body really composed of a spirit, a soul, and a body? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul differentiates between the three. He says, pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I used to think that the soul and spirit were the same, but they're not. They're very different things, and the Greek words for them uh, help evidence how different they are. Um, so we're left to operate by the seat of our will, by our heart. And Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. Who can know it? So mankind is now operating in a, in a deceitful heart uh, from Adam, so God finds another place to dwell. And he does this in the Old Testament, and he calls it first a tabernacle, and then it becomes a temple. Solomon made the first temple, and God dwelt there. Now, the interesting thing about that is God made man in three parts in his image. He also made his temple in three parts. There was an outer court, there was an inner court, and there was a holy of holies, or the inner inside court, and that's the only place that he went. The outer court was for the Gentiles, and they could see the, the, the temple from there. The inner court were for, was where the labor was, and all the different ceremonial rites would occur, and the priests would do certain things. But the Holy of Holies, one time a year, the sanctified priest would go in through the veil, a big, very thick, big carpet, and he would go in there, and he would meet with God, and he would offer sin for the, for the uh, people. And that was one time a year where this high priest would enter the place where God was. Well, the Holy of Holies was God's second home. That's where he dwelled. The temple is called many things. It's called the house of the Lord. It's called the house of God of Jacob. My house of my glory. A house of prayer. A house of sacrifice. A house of the sanctuary. A holy and beautiful house. The holy mount. It's called that because there's only one place on earth that the temple has ever been or ever will be. And that's on Mount Moriah. And the summit of Mount, not on Mount Moriah, but at the summit of Mount Moriah. And that's where the first Solomon's temple was built. That's where the future temple will be built. And that's where the Dome of the Rock is today. There are not several temple spots. There are not many temples. There's one temple as it resonates to biblical truth, and that's on Mount Moriah. Why? Because the temple as a whole completely corresponds to Jesus Christ. Everything that God had the children of Israel do when they constructed that temple was a picture or a type of Jesus. From the tables, to the ark, to the showbread, to the uh, sockets, the gold, the brass, all things correlated specifically to who Jesus would be, the Savior, the Messiah, when he came. The purpose of the temple was to point people to that point in time. The veil was a separation between God and man. Everything was symbolic, and we don't have the time to go into that now. Maybe uh, next week we can talk about that a little more. But the, the temple was a, the second house of God. When Jesus came to the earth, he... The temple was a, all but desolate. It was about all but an abomination. Now, Jesus called this temple, Solomon's temple or Herod's temple. I think I've got that right. He called them my father's house in the early parts of the Gospels. He said, don't make my father's house a den of thieves. Okay? Later on, he said, this is your house. It's a house, your house of desolation, he said to the religious leaders. So at the beginning of his ministry, he said the house was his father's house. 
And then later in his ministry, he said, this is your house. So God moved out of the temple at that point in time, about the time Jesus' ministry began to take full effect. Where did he go? He moved into the third house that he lives in, and that was Jesus Christ. Again, a, representatives of, a representative of three parts. A tripartite God, Adam being a tripartite man, the temple being a tripartite building, and Jesus Christ re being representative of a single God in uh, one in three parts. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? The Word was God. John 1.14 says then, And the Word... God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God in his fullness, the fullness of God, the scriptures say that, dwelt in Jesus Christ. In this temple, in this holy place, in this perfect, sinless, undefiled place, God housed himself there. And he walked among us and he taught us and he showed us the way, sinless, perfect, he communed with the Father because there are three parts to God. But it was God in total in Jesus Christ as he walked on the face of this earth. In the temple and in Adam, God abandoned those places because of sin. Did God permanently abandon or did he abandon Jesus when he was on the earth because of sin? Yes, absolutely. Not because of his own sin, but because of ours. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God abandoned that building too, that edifice, because of sin. And Jesus went on to suffer for the, our sins, mine and yours, in this place without him, with the Father turning from him for us and on our behalf. The physical temple is not the place where God dwells any longer. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple, that big thick carpet, Vernon McGee says that they would take two teams of horse of, not, of oxen and they would pull on that, on that carpet to see if it would tear and it wouldn't and in both directions. That's how thick it was. But the scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's significant because it says God said no more of the temples, no more of this rites and rituals, no more of this type of relationship. I'm going to dwell in one more house. I'm going to come and permanently dwell in another house that is not going to be defiled. And that's the house, that's the fourth house of believers. And we are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ that God, when he dwells in us by his spirit, he does not depart. He does not walk away from us because it's been defiled. We, through faith, are sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is in us that he now dwells. God's final home. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, 
2 Corinthians 6.16 For ye are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There are two interesting words in the Greek for the word temple in the New Testament. The first one is heros, and that word means a physical building. It relates to the actual temple, Solomon's temple or Herod's temple or any of the temples. It refers to a specific place, and that word is used when it's referring to that specific place. But when you read the word temple in the Greek later on in Paul's writings, a different Greek word is used. That word is naos. And the naos is a place where God dwells inside of you. That is a different meaning in the Greek of the word temples. So when he says that you are a temple, it's talking about a dwelling place, not so much a physical structure. And that's very important to understand when it comes to understanding temples and where God dwells today. Have temple edifices gone away? Not in two very distinct ways. And we're going to open up the phone lines now if you have a comment or question. But in two very distinct ways, temples have not gone away. First, the Bible says that the Jewish temple, the children of Israel's temple, will be built again. It will be built at the Mount of Moriah. That's the only place it will be built. And for a very specific reason, because it's going to usher in the, uh, the Antichrist, and he's going to do all kinds of things eschatologically, which we won't talk about. But at the very end, we know that the temple will be rebuilt there. Secondly, the Bible also states that believers now make up the physical temple spiritually. So we not only individually have God reside in us in our home, but we also make up a temple of believers. Our bodies are like stones fit together perfectly to create a spiritual temple in which God dwells collectively. So we have an individual home and then we have a collective home that God builds. And, and, and you can read in Ephesians 2.19. I'm going to read this before we finish. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you understand the biblical idea of what temples were for and are for now? Before we go to the phones, viewers must know that you are the temple of God and you must be spiritually reborn. You're operating by your soul if you haven't been spiritually reborn. And by your soul are, are moments of happiness and moments of exaltation and moments of sorrow. And you can have those and think that you're walking with God. But until you've been spiritually cleansed, God will not reside in you and help you understand his ways as a spiritually regenerated person. As a member of the body of Christ, you then will, will become part of the, the temple of God. And you'll be fit together with other believers to make this wonderful, beautiful edifice, spiritual evidence that God so wants to have here on this earth. LDS temples have absolutely no relationship whatsoever to ancient Israel's temple. If you have the idea, if you're LDS, 
that the temples are the same kind of temple that they had in ancient Israel, you're incorrect. You're greatly incorrect and misled. Those temples that LDS use today have a very different meaning and significance. And when you impose the idea that they are the same as the ancient Israel, and it's the same, when you go to the temple, you're going to the temple like, like uh, uh, Joshua or like Solomon or David, or not David, Solomon and the others went to the temple, you're sorely mistaken. The veil was written too. We're going to talk more next week about the temple and about the purpose of LDS temples and what they truly correlate to, not being the ancient Israel temple, but something completely different. Let's go to the phones. We're going to take, uh, the phone lines are busy. Please call back. If you get a recording, call back and um, just keep trying. That's just how it works, and we'll keep trying to get to your calls. Douglas and Murray regarding heaven on line two. Douglas. Sean. Yes. The um, believers and Christians, Mormons, agnostics, whatever, will often be together in groups of individuals, and they're talking about that glorious day when we'll all be to have together in heaven. Uh-huh. I've seen it at funerals I've been to. I've seen it with groups of, of Christians themselves talking about all of their loved ones that either didn't ever go to church or, or were Mormons, and they're not going to be in heaven. There isn't going to be this joyous reunion, okay? Right. And that's an important thing. And then when Jesus left, and when uh, 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 the last thing he was talking about to his disciples is love one another as I have loved you, and then go out into the world and teach the good news, the gospel. But he also said, I will send someone, and that's the Spirit. Holy Spirit, right. And the Spirit that you talk about when you talk about being born again, right. as a Mormon or whatever, that Spirit gives us all one gift, and it, it varies in us, discernment and understanding. Amen. And I believe that's what you look for in someone who is born again. That discernment helps them to look at things and see the truth. Amen, Douglas. That's how they begin to look at Mormonism and throw out the doctrines that are unbiblical. That does happen. Is that correct? Is that, what that is correct. That's right on target. And I had a wonderful time at Worship 06. Oh, excellent. I'm glad to hear that. It was incredible. Five hours of beautiful sunshine and joyous worship, and we all sang together. Well, that's wonderful. If you went to Worship 06, you better be at Heart in the Park. It was awesome. I'll be there. Oh, good, Douglas. I look forward to meeting you, brother. Good talking to Take you. care. Bye-bye. Carolyn on line one from Provo. Carolyn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yes, I was wanting to know what you could tell me about the symbols that are on the temple, on the outside of the Mormon temples. You know, um, a lot of people say that, uh, one, they'll say that the Star of David is on there, uh, which is not uh, correct. Another one they'll say is that the pentagram is on there. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, there's a, in the San Diego Temple, I haven't examined the Salt Lake Temple, but the San Diego Temple, it's not a pentagram. Uh, it's, a di it's two squares that make up an eight-pointed star, so it's, it's very different. Uh, you know, I can't tell you. I know that there's a lot of uh, conjecture. There's a lot of ties to the Masons and um, with the sun and the moon and the stars and the all-seeing eye, which you can see on the Salt Lake Temple. But uh, I don't definitively know where those things originated and what their purpose is on the outside of them. What I do know is that what's done on the inside of them greatly 
greatly correlates to masonry, and we're going to talk about that in depth next week. Oh, okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. We're going to Jimmy on line two, and then we're going to answer some questions. Jimmy. Hi. Hi. I, I have one statement to make. I think your program is wonderful. What I wanted to say is that our problem is people, the indwelling, the indwelling spirit in us as the temple, what happens in the beginning of our walk, we look at God as a guest and we are the host. And as the spiritual life transformation takes place, God is the host and we become the guest. Ah. And when we decide to stay, ah. God stays. And Love he's always there. And as Paul says, we see as in a mirror, and sometimes when we look within, we're seeing the Word of God in us, and we think it's us. But as we gradually, in this transformation, the Word of God in us, the Spirit in us, convinces us that we are seeing it not in full knowledge, right. in partial knowledge, but that love is there, and He is the host in us, and we are the guest. Beautiful. In the beginning, we turn it around, we think He's the guest, and we're the host. Right. And, and that's how that's how I kind of presented it. But I like what you've said. It, it adds volume and uh, dimension to my comments. I think that's wonderful. Right? Yeah. God is. God knows everything, but He's not going to share everything with us all at once. Not even in this life. Right. That's why we have eternity to learn all the things of God that are there. He's given us the Word, and He's given us the Holy Spirit. Now, it says the first the Spirit was the first payment for us. Right. All right. Now we can't get. We get everything we will need in this life from the Spirit, from the Word, and from each other in the Christian walk. But we have to remember that it's still partial, as Paul said, when what is perfect, when heaven comes, what is imperfect will be done away with. We will know as we are known, and as the Spirit of us will be so direct that will be no more questions to ask in that sense. We will know Him as He knows us. Amen, Jimmy. Thank you for your comments. It's great for the audience and me. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, gonna go to a few calls. We have Marilyn Holiday, but I'm gonna answer a couple of these first. Um, someone called and wants everyone to stop complaining about the way I dress. Amen, sister. It's gotta be a sister. Stop looking at the buttons on his shirt. Listen to the message. So I love that. Thank you very much. Uh, a couple more. Sean McCraney falls into the category of LDS who cannot leave it alone. I've left the church, but I can't leave the church alone. Well, you know, I want to explain that quickly. When you have bought in to a system completely uh, from the time you were very young and you went, with the, you went with the route the best you could and you believed in priesthood and you believed in temples and you believed in tithing and you believed in Sabbath day and you believed in fulfilling callings and you believed in serving missions and you believed in going to the temple and you believed in everything that goes along with all of that stuff and you find out that the Bible teaches something differently and that when you discover that truth in the Bible, your life changes for the better and you become a nicer guy. What happens is you, for some people, you want to reach back to those you left behind in the LDS church and you want them to help, help them see what you've come to see. So that very smug saying that comes from the top leaders of the church that they leave the church, but they can't leave the church alone, is so smug and so void of um, the real motive behind people who come back and try to tell Latter-day Saints about what really is going on relative to biblical truth. So you can accuse me of that, but uh, I have a heart for Latter-day Saints. I have many still in my family, and I want them to know Jesus 
and I want them to know him on an intimate, life-changing relationship. And if they decide to stay LDS, that's a whole other topic. But I want them to know Jesus, and as Latter-day Saints right now, they don't. Merrill, we're going to, we're going to Maryland Holiday. Merrill, line one. Yeah, hi, Sean. Uh, I need to uh, put you on the spot, but uh, pleasantly, if I may. Last week, you had mentioned um, the LDS Church believes in God the Father. This isn't a direct quote of yours, but it was something to the effect of that Jesus and the Holy Ghost are not God. Yeah. Now, in um, Mormon Doctrine by Bruce R. McConkie, it's very clear. Uh, quoting you quote Bruce R. McConkie a lot, Merrill. What's that? Oh, yes. Uh, there are three gods, the Father, uh -huh. the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who, yeah. those, who, though separate in personality, are united as one in purpose, in plan, and in all attributes of perfection. Yeah. So the LDS Church does teach there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and of course one of the most beautiful scriptures we have, you quoted in 1 John, yeah. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, well, was okay. with God and the world was, was God. All right, Mara, you, you proposed something here, and you, and, but, and I can agree that Bruce R. McConkie said that. Now, we can approach this from many angles. Well, one, the Bible Dictionary, too. One, one, I can say the Bible Dictionary and Bruce R. McConkie were not prophets, and it's not in canon, but I'm not going to go down that road, but we could say that, right? Couldn't we say that? Say what? We could say that the Bible Dictionary and Bruce R. McConkie are not canonized, and where he said that's not canon, LDS canon. Am I right? Yes, yes, okay. correct. It's not canon. The second thing is, has Jesus always existed? He has not an LDS ideology or LDS thinking. And so, therefore, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's, it's impossible to be God and yet not have always been God. So they don't view him. In fact, they don't even view the Father as, as God when it comes to the Christian. Remember, I'm talking to Christians, too. When it comes to the understanding of who God is... They have a very, or you have a very different definition of what God is and what he's not. Your God had a beginning as a man. Your Jesus was created by God out of preexistent material. So when you, when you come and say, hey, we believe he's God, we believe they're God, that is just, in your thinking, I understand, Merrill, how you, how you believe that, but in the context of the Bible or Christian understanding, it is just categorically false. But, it, but it, it, it is taught in the LDS Church that w there are three gods. Okay, and that makes it polytheistic, because they do believe that they're three separate and distinct, sure. and they, they don't believe that they are one like all Jews, like all Muslims, and like all Christians. One in purpose, one Godhead. Yeah, well, three, three separate. separate and distinct beings. That's the Father has a body of flesh and bone. Well, that automatically just walks completely about face from the three major religions of the world. Now. You understand and you agree with it. But as long as it's understood by everybody listening that, that those are the differences, that's fine. I don't say Latter-day Saints shouldn't have uh, the beliefs they want to have. You can have that belief. I think it's completely fabrication. But I, I, you know, if you admit it, more power to you. Admit it and, and preach that message. But I just hope it's preached because when you called, you said, we believe that Jesus is God. But, mm -hmm. but you didn't talk about the polytheistic side and you didn't talk about him being a created God. You understand my, my problem with it? I, I see where you're coming from, but uh, I, I have to take exception to your statement last week that the LDS Church does not teach that Jesus and the Holy Ghost are God. Well, I think they teach it in there and how they define what God is. Okay, but, and then we'll, we'll, we'll again agree. Okay, to then I'll stand corrected on that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, All right, Merrill, thanks for your insightful call. I always appreciate it. Okay. Let's go to Austin on line two. First time caller. I'm a child God. 
Well, Austin, I can see that that was your first time. All right, we had an I am a child of God, and he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. That's an LDS song, and uh, it's totally contrary to biblical truth because God didn't send us here from a pre-mortal existence. It's one of their favorites, but that's what he was referring to when he said that. We got Gloria in Meridian, Idaho. Gloria from Meridian, Idaho. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. Oh, good. How are you? I'm doing as best as can be expected. That's great. <laughs> I have a question. Yes. Um, according to the Holy Bible, the test of a prophet mm -hmm. has to be absolute truth. I mean, everything he says has to come to pass. Right. Right? Yeah. Or he's considered a false prophet. Right. That's right. Okay. My question is, Joseph Smith is the founder of the Mormon uh, faith. Right. And what he says, they believe. Right. And they call him their prophet, right? That's right. Well, I pulled up on the Internet the prophecies of Joseph Smith. Right. And I was printed out 17 pages of false prophecies. Yeah. And I just was astounded that the people, the Mormon people, could believe that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God, right. when by his own prophecies, that's false. So how, that's the whole foundation of what they base their faith on. It, it sounds like a very simple, cut-and-dry explanation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's, so. it's not in their thinking, though. And, and to be fair to them, they understand being a prophet uh, in very interesting terms. And what they'll do is they'll look to Old Testament prophets and show how they uh, were men, too, who made mistakes. And I they, mean, in what they, the prophecy that they gave, because the prophet is a, is a person right. who God speaks through, and if God is true, he speaks absolute truth. Right. And so the prophet speaks to the people what God has told him to say. But the Latter-day Saints believe there were times when Joseph was speaking as a man. There were times when he was speaking as a prophet. And, and I would be willing to bet, I haven't seen it, but I'd be willing to bet those 17 pages, they have a very uh, justifiable response to most, maybe not all, but most of the things on those 17 pages as to why that was not, could not be considered him prophesying. I know there's a few things. Yeah, you ought to pull it up. Yeah, well, I, I've seen most, well, I can't say most, but I've seen a lot of the anti, they call it anti-Mormon stuff. And the, here's the problem. It's not the fact that those things are factual or not. The problem is when you show that stuff to a Latter-day Saint, I having been one, all it does is re, it just makes them dig their heels in deeper to where they are. And they don't, the thing that will lead them out for the most part is going to be them seeing themselves as sinner and not having Jesus in their life and their knowledge that they are saved. Uh, I firmly believe that, and that's what our ministry is all about. Right. Well, the, the other approach, the extraction approach, that is shock them with the facts of their church, does work on some. But the church is growing by spades, and I'm not sure it really does much in the long run. And that's why I don't usually uh, address those types of uh, bits of information. Well, I have, you know, have had a few opportunities to talk to the young men that come to my door, uh -huh. and they, they don't have never seen any, anything like that, because I have printed off and made some little booklets out of yeah. those pages of, 
uh, uh, his false prophecies coming out of their own books and, and things. Yeah. And they're astounded by it. They, they, they say they're astounded. Is it Gloria? Yeah. They say they're astounded, Gloria, but you don't have them come back knocking on your door and saying, I've left the Mormon church. They'll say, boy, that's astounding. I can't believe that. And they take it home and they'll look up someone who answers those type of questions, who has authority to do that, a BYU professor or someone who writes for fairs or farms. And then they'll justify everything that's been given to them as a, as a justifiable answer. And they continue on as LDS. The, you know what? The facts just don't hit most of them. The they're just blinded, huh? They're just blinded, and it's going to uh. take the Lord to reveal, to, to remove the scales right. and help them see the truth. Well, I pray for them all the time. Good I, for you. Wonderful people, and, but, you know, you can be sincere about something and be sincerely wrong. Yes, you well, can. They need Jesus. Yes, man, that, that's the key point, and thank you for ending with that. Thanks for your call from Idaho. Share the show with your friends. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Brian in Ogden, a first-time caller. Brian. Yeah. You're on Heart of the Matter. Um, I just got a little question for you. Are you on a speakerphone? Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, I can hardly hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Cordless, actually. But anyway, in the Bible, it states that there's only one book of life. It's representing that there's only one book. Yeah. God. And I can't remember what scripture or what chapter it is. And I just want to know what the Book of Mormon states. What the Book of Mormon? Uh, well, I don't think that the when the Bible refers to the Book of Life, I'm not. I'm not. I don't believe it's talking about the Bible. Uh huh. I think it's talking about uh, the Lamb's Book of Life in Revelation chapter 23 or 22, and it's talking about the names of those people whose names are written or not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Mormon doesn't have a place, nor does the Bible, when they're talking about the Book of Life in that context. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that question. I was just kind of wondering. All right, man. Keep coming. Come to Heart in the Park. All right. Thanks. All right. See you later. Huh? We're going to Gianni and Orem. Gianni. Hey, what's going on? How you doing, man? Oh, I just wanted to tell you, um, I got your book. I really enjoy it. I uh, noticed in the back of your book you talk about Venerable uh, Radio Ministries, and um, I purchased some of Adrian Vosser's uh, Love Works Finding Ministry uh, oh, yeah. videos, and uh, I just um, really look forward to your show every week. Oh, thanks so much, Johnny. I'm glad you liked the book. Are you going to come to Heart in the Park? Yeah, I'm going to see about going down there, and... Um, Hopefully I'll get a chance to see you, but I really like your show, and I just wanted to thank you for sending me the book. You're welcome. Thanks so much, man. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we have uh, some calls being taken by operators. Pat in Ogden, where did Moroni come from? She cannot find him in the Bible. Um, Joseph Smith uh, tells the story in the Book of Mormon that um, an ancient civilization came, uh, sprouted from some people who came from the old world, Jerusalem, uh, made an exodus, came to here, the United States, but they're not sure about that now. And that this whole civilization grew and grew, and there was different wars and things. And Moroni was one of the last of these men. And he took his father's records, uh, Mormon, and he compiled them and abridged them and put them together in gold plates and buried them in a hill, which happened to be near Joseph Smith's home. And then in 1820, Joseph, or 1823, Joseph Smith was told that the record was there and to go and find it. So Moroni is a character from the Book of Mormon. And he either existed or he didn't. And he's the guy on the temple blowing the trumpet. 
facing east and blowing the trumpet. The Mormons believe that in Revelation where it says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, that it's talking about Moroni preaching the everlasting gospel. What they don't do is keep reading where the book of Revelation talks about, and I saw another angel flying, and I saw another angel flying, and, and they say it nine times. But uh, they use that one little verse to say that that's the angel Moroni. So that's the Moroni deal. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Sean, I'd like you to read John 6, 27 through 29. Uh, let me do that. That's a good verse. This is talking about grace, and it says... Then they said unto Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Listen, Latter-day Saints, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Okay? That's the work of God. Everything else that you do after you've believed on him, that he does through you, is for his glory and for your edification, but the work that you are to do to work the works of God, according to Jesus' mouth, is to believe on him. The phone lines are backed up. Uh, please, if you get a recording, keep trying to call. Where They're all backed up, but we haven't had one operator approved yet, so just keep trying. Okay, let's go to Joanne in West Valley. Explain baptism for the dead and its meeting in the church. Does any other church practice this? They don't. They aren't sure of the origin of baptism for the dead. Uh, there is a reference in 1 Corinthians about baptizing for the dead, but that reference has to be taken in context. And I would suggest you read the verse after uh, where it talks about why they did baptisms for the dead. It puts it in context. But what Latter-day Saints do is they believe baptism is necessary for salvation. They believe that people die and haven't heard the LDS truth. So they believe that they go to spirit prison and missionaries go to spirit prison, and they teach them the gospel there in spirit prison. Well, if they accept the LDS gospel there in spirit prison, they still haven't been baptized, and they need baptism in order to enter the celestial kingdom or to enter live with God. So they have baptisms done for people vicariously. That means that I go to a temple and someone baptizes me in someone else's name who's passed on and that person on the other side of the veil can accept the LDS gospel. They would have had the baptism done for them and they would have been qualified thus far to enter into heaven. LDS also believe that it's not just baptism that's required for them to get into heaven, but it is also that they have their own endowment, that they are given the priesthood, and that they are married or sealed for time and all eternity if they're to go to the highest kingdom. All of those works are done in those temples, those edifices, on behalf of people who have died so that they can accept it as spirits in the afterworld and go and live with God. There's the answer on baptism for the dead. Leviticus 20.13 is a great verse on homosexuality. Man with man. I didn't give any of those. And oddly enough, we have Galen on the phone. Line two, Galen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I wanted a, an evangelical interpretation of a famous scripture in Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. The Jehovah's Witnesses and, and we Latter-day Saints use this to show that Jesus had a creation in time. Will you give your interpretation of that? Yeah, I think that's the one where it talks about God and his Father. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen. Of course, that's Christ, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
the beginning of the creation of God, uh, evangelical response would be he's the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. And uh, I, I have no other uh, explanation for that except he's always called the beginning. And uh, the creation of God, you might it might mean that he was God's only begotten son. He did take on a tabernacle of flesh. I think in the context of the Bible as a whole, uh, I think if you just took that and you had no other reference to it, it would probably bode well with your idea that Christ was created. But if you take everything else in the Bible uh, that supports that Christ was God and was not created, then I think you lose out on that one. But it's a good verse if you want to argue and point to somebody and say, hey, look at this right here. I think that in and of itself says something to your argument. Yeah. But I don't think it justifies the rest of the Bible in that God is, was not created nor made and that Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God and He's everlasting to everlasting and all the plethora of examples that talk about how He is God and was not created. Okay. Uh, could I ask a quick uh, question on to it? Sure. Uh, I was just going to ask you, uh, how did you find the situation with the Lord Jesus Christ? He now has a physical body, but prior to coming to earth, he didn't have a physical body. How do you uh, sort of rationalize that? Well, I believe that God is one, and before coming to this earth and getting the physical body, he was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and he existed as God. Uh, isn't that a change, though? He's a different God than he was before. Uh, I, I, getting the physical body uh, being a change, I suppose that it would be a change for us, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just worrying, wondering about that because well, certainly he was known as, uh, the, the eternal father is known as the father or eternal God. He's not man, but Christ is both God and man. Well, in, in, um, in Handel's Messiah, which we can read from, where is it? Uh, where it's pulled from, is it Isaiah? He is called the Savior, and he's called the Everlasting Father. Yeah. And, 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 and to use your own scriptures, Mosiah talks about him being called the Son because he came down uh, uh, as God the Father and took upon a body of flesh and bone. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think that, uh, I, th I think your questions are good, and I think maybe in an argument, if you and I were going back and forth, you would have won it. I think because I'm not armed to, to uh, completely answer you on that. You may be the first heart of the matter guy to have beat me on the, on the air with something, but uh, I don't think the Bible justifies it as a whole. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you for those very much, Sean. I'm a strict Latter-day Saint, but I appreciate what you're doing, and I enjoy the things that you do, and I enjoy the scriptural mission. All right, good. Thanks. You bet. You, you take care, Mike. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Mike on line three, a first-time caller. Mike. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I was uh, raised LDS, but uh, I'm not... Uh, LDS anymore. Uh -huh. I pretty much stopped going to church when I was 18. Uh -huh. uh, kind of wondering, once you kind of left the LDS, LDS church, why you still kept in kind of the Christian faith and didn't look anywhere else? It was really the, the motivation for leaving the LDS church. Uh, my motivation was, I, it wasn't that I became disenchanted with God or a religion, it, it was that I uh, came to know God. And by knowing Him uh, through spiritual rebirth, which is just undeniable when it really happens, um, He changed my life, and so I continued to follow the course that I knew only until I saw the truth from the Bible, etc., etc. It's in the book. I'd be more than happy to send you one. But uh, it wasn't... A lot of people leave the LDS Church because they become... Um, disenfranchised, they might be caught up in sin, 
They might not be able to live the laws. They might have been hurt by somebody in the church. There's a lot of reasons for bailing on any church, really. But I didn't have those reasons. I left the church because I found God, and He healed my soul and helped me come to understand Him through spiritual rebirth. Well, I've been, for the past three years, kind of looking into everything. I didn't really know about Christian stuff, and I've been really looking into that and a lot of uh, New Age things, and it's just just kind of strikes me that almost everything's kind of the same and it almost has the same end where it turns into this you know kind of the same person the, yeah. the kind of good person i'm just for me i'm just kind of wondering like you know like the whatever change you had the undeniable whatever it's just that's kind of what i'm looking for hey um it's what it is is it's just turning your will and life over to the lord and it's just be, being willing to give your everything. I mean, your heart and mind, everything to Him in prayer, to offer your life up to Him, and to ask Him to take over your life. And if you really genuinely mean it, and I mean I really meant it, and I was willing for Him to take over my life and give me a new heart and a new spirit, He did. And, and many, many thousands of people, I talked to hundreds of people, who've had the same experience and we resonate, no matter what church they go to, we resonate to the same thing. So if you're looking to do that, if you're at a point in your life where you want to do that, I'd be more than happy to help you. And if you're not at a point to do that, that's the point you need to get to. You know. The thing is, is like a couple of years ago, I prayed that, you know, I don't care where I'm at, if whether I'm LDS, Christian or whatever, I just want to know the truth. Okay. Know, over the last three years of just all the books and stuff I've looked into, it, you know, it, it hasn't really led me into being able to accept one thing, I've, you know. But guess what? You know, I went through that same 17 years I searched. I went through all the Eastern metaphysics. I went through all the things like you're going through. But you know what? You're calling a show right now that is, you don't know, maybe now is when you're being led to the truth. I mean, it takes time sometimes. And maybe you said, I don't care where it is, but I want to know the truth. Maybe now's the time. And maybe you're, maybe you're hearing, hey, I need to be spiritually reborn. Give that truth a try. And you may have come to the end of the road, and you'll turn around and find a whole new world waiting for you. Well, okay, the thing is, I don't want to be like down on Mormons, but I don't want to be like I was when I was in the LDS church where I just believed things blindly. Yeah. Well, it's good you're questioning. I, I, you know, um, let me send you the book. Will you stay on the line? The operators will get your address. And then come to Heart in the Park where you and I can talk face to face. Experience the worship. Just try that. And nothing with it. Forget religion. Forget all the books. Forget my book. I mean, just, just try to experience it by giving your whole life over to Him. Will you try that? Well, I mean, if you know, I mean, basically <laughs> Jesus is, if He's the real guy, but that, that's the whole point, is looking through everything. It's, well, when you come to find out that nothing else is really saving you, you'll turn to see if he really is the real guy. That's what happened to me. I thought. Thing is, I mean, I, I've like I got like a ton of books on everything. Yeah. Well, you're well read. I'm then. sure your book's helpful, but you know, I don't know if it's gonna like make me turn the corner. It won't. It won't. It's just a helpful tool. Uh, maybe prayer and uh, trying to, um, you know, experience the Lord firsthand and and see if what he says is true. But you really got to believe that he can, uh, that you're willing to let him try. Take over your life. That's really an operative word. 
Um, I mean, to that point, but, you know, I, I just, I don't want to be fooled into being something else. Hey, man, I have no vested interest to fool anybody. Believe me. I do not want to fool you. I want you to have the right to walk away from this and do whatever you want to do. The right is important to me, but I can tell you, you will find a joy that is beyond what this world offers, beyond what New Age offers, beyond what all those other uh, ideologies offer. And uh, it's not just my own subjective experience. It's shared by believers worldwide, regardless of denomination, including Jews. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, where do you start with that? So Come to Heart in the Park. Into. Are you local? Uh, yeah. Come to Heart in the Park. I want to meet you. All right. Right on. Well, we'll see you there then. All right. Good. We'll talk to you then. Take All care. Right, easy, bro. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to Daryl in Logan. First time caller. Daryl, you got to be quick. Okay. My question is, as long as you believe in your heart that Christ is the Son of God, and that he died for your sins, does it truly matter what church you go to? It's a really good question. Uh, church you go to? No. And that's, a, I'm going to get heat for that. But I don't, you know, to me, no. It doesn't matter what church. The problem is following up with following him once you've accepted him becomes difficult when you go to a church that doesn't teach his word. And so you start, I mean, you can have the Jesus experience, you can be reborn, but he talked about that in his parable of the sower. You know, you, could, you can accept the word gladly, but then you're tossed at the roadside where the weeds or the rocks or the stony places gobble you up, the birds. So the, the problem is the church is important for your walk once you've accepted him. The church has no bearing on your salvation, in my opinion. And what church would you suggest? <laughs> we, we do a, a, a different churches. What area are you in? Uh, I'm in Logan, Utah. Oh, in Logan. We haven't, our church scouts haven't gotten up there yet. They're coming up, though. Uh, I'll find out. Keep watching the show, and we will find a Logan church and recommend it. But you know what? You're going to get, I mean, frankly, you're going to be disappointed with any institution that's run by men. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to preach something that's not actually correct. Your relationship should always really supremely ride above your religion. And, um, and I think any good pastor would agree with that. Uh, so you want to find one that teaches the Bible. You want to find one that worships. You want to find that, you know, a good worship of the Lord that you're suited to. And um, it, it could be a process. I'd, I'd visit several of them if you can. Okay, thank you very much. Talk to you then. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to Josh in Sandy, first-time caller. Josh, you're in Heart of the Matter. Yes, I was reading in the good book earlier today, and I, I came across Chapter 9 in Genesis. Yeah. And there's, there's a portion where Noah, I guess, I'm not sure exactly why, but he goes out into his vineyard and he becomes drunk. And here's, here's my question. Yeah. So what happens is then Ham looks upon his nakedness, yeah. and ultimately his two brothers end up covering Noah. Yeah. But I was kind of curious as to why Ham was cursed and decided, or made to be a servant to the others. Well, his other two brothers were uh, kind of exalted. I, I thought it was a little bit of a discrepancy. Could you shed any light on that? I would love to shed light. You know, I, I, uh, all I know is from what I've learned, and that is that... Uh, Ham mocked the prophet of God, and uh, as a result of his actions, his uh, generations received uh, the curse. The other ones walked backward. They honored their father. 
in the Old Testament, if you didn't honor your father and mother, the penalty was death. So to, for Ham to come in and find his dad drunk and then to mock him and see him lying there naked, if that's what it means, there's all different kinds of commentaries on what the true meaning of that passage is. But if that's what it means, his uh, progeny was cursed for his actions. Um, I'm not a biblical scholar. I just can go by what I read and know, and that's the best answer I can give. I'll search out and see if I can find any more for you, though. Oh, that would be delightful. Keep watching and call back. Oh, I definitely will. Thanks. All right, man. Thanks for the call. Right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Hey, listen, uh, I wanted to tell you we did get an answer. Listen, we got a great letter from uh, Gary, who's in Utah State Prison. Hey, Gary. And he wrote us a letter, and he wants us to come out heart in the park in the prison. Get all your uh, friends in there, if they're your friends or cellmates or whatever they are, Gary. Uh, get them to tune in to, to Heart of the Matter. But Gary gave me the reference. Someone asked, where does it say that Joseph Smith, uh, you'd have to go before him? And Gary gave me the reference in Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 289, that everyone must have to assent to this man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Brigham Young is the one who said that. Other people have given us that answer. But Gary, thanks for the letter, and we're welcome. To, we are more than happy to come out to the point of the mountain and to share uh, uh, the uh, ideas of Jesus with your uh, cohorts or, or your cellmates or the people who go to the church there, whatever it is, especially the Latter-day Saints, too, who need the Lord just as much. Love to do that. We're going to take one more call. we got a bunch of messages. We're going to go to... Dan and Orem, a first-time caller. Dan, you've got one minute only, and i got to cut you off. Thank you for the effort you've made toward uh, bringing the light of Jesus Christ and his true relationship to, to all these lost sheep. Uh, and, <clears throat> and, I, and I pray that this work would go forward to, uh, to, to bring the light that you have for these people. Thanks so much. Uh, I, I really believe that uh, sometime uh, Satan has to to uh, let these people go, and that uh, just like just like uh, <clears throat> uh, during the, the time when the Israelites were. I'm going to be really rude right now. I'm sorry. Please be right. one of our first callers next week. We're down to just seconds. I've got to cut you off, but call back next week. I'm so sorry. Listen, may God's blessings be with you as you contemplate the messages tonight, the calls tonight. I love you guys. LDS2, we'll see you next week. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake, a storm's arising the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start 